Welcome to the VMware Multi-Cloud Podcast. My name is Eric Nelson, and with me today, I have my regular co-host, David Jasso. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Eric. Great. On today's show, we're going to be covering multi-cloud management, and our guests today are Rachel Dines and Ennio Carboni. Rachel is the Director of Product Marketing, and Ennio is Director of Product Management for Cloud Health. Hey, guys. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you. That's great. So we always usually get started by just asking you a little bit about yourself. So David, why don't you take them through? Yeah, this? why don't you, um, Rachel and Ennio, tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of the, your backgrounds. And, um, you know, don't be shy. Give us, you know, where you came from before Cloud Health as well. So what you're doing now and uh, sort of what your background in the industry is. Rachel, why don't you go? Um, sure. So uh, I'm actually coming up on my four-year anniversary of joining Cloud Health Technologies, which, as many of you likely know, was acquired by VMware about a year and a half ago. Um, I've been running product marketing here, you know, from when we were just a little scrappy startup, about 50 people, to now, you know, large business unit and a large publicly traded company. It's It's been a really fun ride. Um, before that, I did product marketing in more of the, um, like, the cloud storage space. I was at Riverbed and NetApp. Uh, and before that, I spent uh, quite a long time at Forrester as an industry analyst. Um, so don't hold that against me if you're not a big uh, a fan of the Forrester wave. But but that was that was my world for about seven years. I didn't realize um, we let days. analysts. I didn't realize we let analysts on the show. We're gonna make it. We might have to stop and start <laughs> all over again. Recovering, recovering, <laughs> recovering, can I say recovering. Yeah, she, she's okay. a hardcore technologist as well. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, the, you know, I, I'm recovered. I'm, I'm fully recovered from my stint at, at Forrester. So don't worry. Um, and yeah, happy to be here. Cool. Hey, Anio, but how about yourself? Yeah, I'm coming up on my uh, third anniversary with uh, Cloud Health by VMware, and uh, my story is one that focused primarily in the security space for a while with RSA security, and then spent uh, over a decade in, in various network performance, network management companies. And my story is not unlike many that are here. You know, I, I was looking at my experience and where the market was moving and having experienced the transition from networks and data center to cloud. And I felt like I really wanted to learn and master that more. So this great opportunity came up with Cloud Health and uh, it's been an incredible uh, few years of uh, just experiencing that. And similar to Rachel, one of the things that uh, I think is worth noting is that the acquisition by VMware has been one of the most uh, fascinating things for me in the sense of how positive it's been. They've allowed us to uh, really grow and prosper as a focused business, and uh, we just see the future as being really prosperous ahead of us. Cool. Excellent. Yeah, so we wanted to uh, move into talking a little bit about Cloud Health, and you both have mentioned it, but uh, many in our audience may not be familiar with it. So maybe you can start with just telling us about what Cloud Health is and what it does, and you know, we'll start from there. And I, we're, we're going to go into deep depth on this in a bit, but just a quick introduction around what is Cloud Health and uh, its focus, its customers, et cetera. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I can I can start us out there. So our our mission is to be the most trusted software platform used to accelerate business transformation in the cloud. Uh, so what does that actually mean? Uh, the majority of our customers are very large consumers of multi cloud, so both public cloud and hybrid cloud, and you know everything in between. Uh, and so what our software does is help them manage really confidently and move at cloud speed uh, as they navigate through that world. So it's everything from helping them optimize costs to improve operational governance, 
um, to security uh, management, security optimization, uh, all in the public cloud. So if you think of like who are the largest consumers of public cloud, a lot of them are using our SaaS solution to help optimize and govern that world. Can you tell us a little more kind of how they're using the solution? Yeah, yeah I mean, so what I, I think we're going to, one thing I always like to talk a little bit about is, you know, some of our biggest customers are spending millions of dollars every single month in Amazon, Azure, Google, um, you know, increasingly we're starting to see Oracle and Ali Cloud, and then they also have really big VMware data centers and VMC on AWS and VMC on, on whatever you want to put VMC on, um, and so they basically, the very first thing they basically lack is visibility. Like they can't see what's going on across all of these different clouds, all of these different accounts. They have developers all over the place trying to spin up, spin up resources and things get out of control really fast. So like one of the very simplest basic ways people start to get value out of the cloud platform is just, I hate the term single pane of glass. So I'm not going to call it a single pane of glass, but like unified consolidated visibility. There really is a huge amount of value to that. Um, and it's not just visibility into like the macro trends, but it's the ability to go deep and start to analyze and slice and dice this by uh, business groups or accounts or applications or teams and start to really dig deep into trends. Um, cost trends is usually when people come, you know, screaming, knocking down the door saying they need, a, need help with something, it's usually because cost is out of control. Um, but oftentimes, like the next thing they realize is, wow, security was even worse, even bigger mess. And then the next thing they realize is, wow, we're trying to manage $5 million a month with three people. Unless we want to hire 100 more people, we need some kind of software to help us automate it. So there's like a lot of different use cases that we can dive into more. I think, yeah. And I think one of the things that the company did well early on is as we were all getting into this business, there was a lot of noise, as there always is, but this was a major evolution, revolution in the marketplace. And people were talking about data centers dying, and we never believed that. We always felt that the, the data center was just another form of the cloud, but we understood that these large companies would migrate forward into complex multi-cloud environments inclusive of, of that data center. And so we've been able to shape the software as a platform to deliver an outcome that's really designed to help people of all skill levels that are maybe journeying this way for the first time to really be able to manage this complex thing called the cloud. Uh, and so that's been very fruitful for us and very gratifying to see the kind of change that we've been able to help enable within these companies. You know what, you know what I've, I've kind of realized as you're talking is that I've been in old Unix system administration, HP uh, products that did data center management. This is like an old skill set. But what I think has changed is the, the matrix model for people consuming compute resources now, where when you operate a data center, there was a hierarchy of a chain of command for approval for things that you would spin up and put in that data center. As we go into cloud, I've noticed that they don't come to IT anymore for approval. They spin up resources. The BUs have the ability to go buy cloud services and use cloud services. And so the approval cycle doesn't exist any longer. Uh, it's by BU, not by IT. And then trying to figure out how I'm spending dollars across all of these different places is quite the challenge, right? Even in a small company, I've seen this to be a challenge. Uh, but in a big company where you have lots of different BUs now consuming cloud resources, and there, it's, it's almost like there's a matrix model now to figure out what's actually happening out in these cloud environments. 
Yeah, we <clears throat> we agree, and Rachel does some great work for us on profiling. That I think a lot of that background comes in, but yeah, you're speaking the truth. I mean, if you think about this market, you could think back to mainframes as a sharing model. The difference here is the complete, as you said, decentralization that many companies are looking to uh, as part of this evolution. So when people talk about the cloud, clearly there's technology involved, but it's also a business initiative that allows for decentralization and usage at BU levels, at product line levels. And so a lot of the clarity uh, that we're able to bring is around the who, what, and why. And that enables, as that gets aggregated and brought up, that enables people to do things like budgeting and forecasting and all of those things we hate to do from a financial perspective be done well. But um, yeah, everything you said is true. And again, Rachel's done some great profiling for us in terms right. of that marketplace of existing customers versus greenfields. So it's almost a tool to do decentralized management of, of, of IT resources, but not under yeah. IT. Yeah. Simple way and very, very um, accurate way to describe it. So it's yeah. a, it sounds like decentralization sort of one of the big differences between the data center and the public cloud. Any others, you know, that come to mind that sort of like really are what make the public cloud more challenging than, say, a, dentist, a data center by itself? Well, I'll name one, and Rachel, I'm sure you have others, but I think it's more of less of a challenge and more of a benefit. Collaboration is a large benefit to all this. So what we see in our in our customers and in the market is that, you know, there's strategic business initiatives of faster modern application development. So as you start to decentralize and allow business units to compete, maybe even with each other in terms of, you know, where the resources go based on success, you'll see not only the decentralization, but a lot of collaboration that's happening between different players within the uh, business unit and sometimes across the whole business. And so, you know, one of our visions that we'll talk a little bit about later is how do we enable more and more of that to be ultra efficient and um, more beneficial for the company? So uh, decentralization, collaboration, I think, you know, it's not a very sexy word, but I think there's just an overall um, accountability and responsibility that we enable as well, because, you know, people get really excited about the cloud. It's like candy, right? But it's very hard to to really talk to a management person and say, here's what I've consumed and, and make it tangible. And so the ability for us to provide tangible yeah. reporting and uh, numbers, it's as simplistic as numbers that they then can present, it just makes for a really enticing story for all layers of the org. Yeah, I think playing off that, I'm gonna like take this from more of like a strategic level, like down into the weeds, like very tactically, what we see with customers, especially as they've got like more of a data center mindset and they're going to the public cloud, is the fact that you're being billed every second for every resource that you provision is such a hard thing to work into a developer's you know mindset and DNA. So there's the, you know in the data center the idea is like okay well I don't know how much I need so I'm just going to ask for like three x the capacity and by the time I get it I'm I'll probably going to use it all. And then if I stop you know working on this project and just let it keep running like you know what we're paying for the power and cooling but it's fine, right and that worked okay in the data center world. There's a lot of waste and there's a lot of ways that you can, you know, get reclaim that, but you don't get like an active bill for every minute that you had that, uh, you know, unused infrastructure up and running. Flip that to a cloud world. You try and take these same developers into a cloud world and you have 
crazy runaway bills. You have underutilized infrastructure that you're paying way too much for. And that's just on the cost side, not even getting started on like some of the issues with security. So I, I think it's just, it's a completely different mindset, really. It's, you can't, you know, you're never going to forget about a whole data center, a whole rack of servers in a data center, but you might forget about a whole rack's worth of EC2 instances running. And, and then, you know, that might, you might get charged for that for months and months until someone goes and does some deep investigation and, and figures out what's going on. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so- that's interesting too, because in the VM space, uh, administrators, if you had a compute, you you put in a you know four U server, whatever, and then you could put thirty VMs on it. But VMware, the the ESX would would allocate CPU utilization to whatever was on that server that was actually consuming resources. And the other VMs, if they weren't being used, they didn't really cost you anything because you were using that compute to do other workloads and VM would manage that workload and manage optimum use of that that hardware. So if you had a couple extra VMs sitting around, it really didn't cost you anything. Now in cloud, to your point, like if you keep VMs, they're they're billing you per minute, right? Yep. Yep. I I think also, and you guys, I think it flows out of the distributed model. But I, you know, when I think about the data center versus the cloud, I think also um, there's just a lot more happening, and it's happening a lot faster, which makes it a lot more difficult to keep track of. Do you guys see that as well? Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, <clears throat> I think the application side alone, I mean, I think that for too long, the industry's spoken of these things as solely technology initiatives. But at the end of the day, it's all part of business strategy, right? I mean, you, you have everything from B2C to B2B that are all taking place at the speed of light. And, uh, you know, it's all dependent on how quickly one can change scale and uh, predictability. And throughout that process, one thing that's worth mentioning, because I think uh, Rachel and I have seen this is there's this other benefit of tra- that we see transforming and that in a data center environment, it was rare that people outside of that data center responsible for budgeting were responsible and or aware of costs. And now we have this new ecosystem where, you know, everybody from the dev DevOps folks to BU leaders in technology are communicating with people on the financial or uh, on the treasury side, and they're having to talk common language and account for these things with one another. So the ability for us to bridge those communications in common language and in common variables has just been, it's been really neat to, to watch. And we're sort of empowering uh, that next generation of, uh, of uh, compute, computers. Cool, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I had the chance to uh, hear Joe Consell talk now, I think at, at least two VMworlds, <laughs> maybe, uh, I think it was at yeah, least two. Four, I think three uh, or four actually. Three or four now. Yeah. Um, He's got a fascinating story of sort of how he even came to sort of launch the company. Yeah. Maybe you guys could just, you know, uh, talk a bit about that because I, I just think it's really insightful around, you know, sort of why the company exists and what the need, you know, that he saw. But I'd just love to you guys cover off a little bit on that. Yeah, I've heard Joe tell this story at least 500 times. So um, I'm, I can I can put on my Joe hat for a minute and tell you more about it because I, I agree. It is really interesting. And this, this same story that happened to him, I see repeated over and over again in our customer base. Um, so, you know, get in your time machine, get in your TARDIS, go back to 2010. Um, Joe was a new executive at a fast-growing SaaS company. They were cloud-based. Uh, he was, uh, I think he was the the head of engineering there and he was a couple months in and he got a cloud bill for $350,000 and um, that kind of stopped him in his tracks because the month before was like 
you know, $200,000. And the month before that was like $100,000. And also remember that this is the year 2010 and not that many people were spending that much money in the public cloud. Like now we have hundreds of customers that spend over a million dollars a month. But back in 2010, I mean, they were maybe a few dozen companies spending this much. And so not only was he shocked and, you know, kind of scared of this cloud bill, he realized that this was actually some of an existential crisis for their company because this meant that they, they couldn't be profitable. Um, they were in uh, the archiving business and they needed to keep their cost per document under $2 per document per month in order to be profitable. Sorry, need to keep it under a under dollar. But this was at over $2 when they got this latest cloud bill. So um, not only do they have a huge problem that they need to figure out how to solve, but this was like actually a, a crisis for their business. So Joe went through, you know, and kind of figured out, uh, you know, how to optimize, first get consolidated visibility, like I was talking a minute ago, then start optimizing for costs, then start getting security under control. Um, you know, he went through this, this um, I don't remember exactly how long the process was, but he, they came out the other side and they were able to get their costs down to 32 cents per document per month, even though they had grown by 4x and were operating across four public clouds. Uh, and you know they did this across optimization and security and cost and and kind of realize he realized coming out the other side that like, wow, if I was having this problem now, think about how many other exact you know companies are going to be having this problem in the future. So shortly after that, he left and founded Cloud Health a few years later. Um, on the premise that there were going to be companies that were really rapidly scaling in the public cloud that were going to need help across cost usage, security, and performance, uh, and that he wanted to be the you know the vendor there to to help, and that's kind of the genesis of of how Cloud Health came to be. Cool. I think one of the most interesting parts of that story is when he uh, he says his CEO walked into his office one day and says, "I've hired you for engineering, but you spend all your time in Excel sheets." Yes, and um, <laughs> that, that was sort of a you know, probably the genesis in part of him saying, look, if this could be automated, this would probably be very powerful for a lot of different audiences out there. Yeah. Get back to his engineering job and out of basically being a part-time finance, cloud financial person. Right. Pretty cool. And you guys, it sounds like he went through um, an evolution in his thinking in terms of like, you know, what he needed to do first and then thinking, okay, now that I've solved that problem, which was visibility, how do I go beyond that? I think I, I've heard him say that, um, you know, he realized after that visibility that the, his next biggest problem was around the fact that, you know, that everybody was walking around with their finger on the button, you know, sort of the analogy of the, the nuclear button that uh, almost anybody could bring the company down. And so he started to think much more around security and uh, configuration management, those kinds of things. Um, so it sounds like he went through a process and something that, you know, most of us would think about as some sort of maturity um, you know, growth and maturity and maturing his approach to cloud. And I think that's a big focus for you guys as well, right? I think uh, this whole notion of taking customers through maturity model uh, becomes a, a strong, um, you know, idea behind how you approach helping customers. Yeah, for certain. Um, I think that, um, you know, I give a little background usually when I talk about this because I think it's important to preface that a lot of our customers that come to us, you know, it doesn't matter how large, a lot of them are new at this. And this is a, a journey that they're on. And in many ways, without sounding too, you know, cliche-like, I mean, we're providing a lot of that visibility and almost like that light on this journey that sometimes can be a little dark and 
and uh, the path so hard to see. So think about some of these companies that are dealing with, you know, a lot of administrators that maybe on a, you know, for the previous week, and I'm exaggerating the timeline just for the purpose of illustration, but, you know, they leave on a Friday managing all of these data centers and, and uh, overall networks, and then they come back on Monday and they have this great cloud steward hat on their desk and they're told, look, you're part of the, the linchpin for this new strategic business initiative of just us being faster, you know, more innovative, more reliable, and, you know, applications are a centerpiece of that. And we're going to the cloud for efficiency reasons as we move our financial model from one of just capital expenditures to more of a, you know, OPEX model. So all of that manifests itself in the form of prospects that we talk to on a global basis. You know, for a long time, um, I wondered if this was more of the uh, a, a, an American, you know, like supersize me uh, phenomena that we deal with where everybody was just overspending and because they were excited about uh, provisioning themselves into this new world. But it's really a global phenomenon. So as we go through the model and um, Rachel, jump in here as I go through this, but it, it goes back to what Rachel said earlier. Most of these folks start this journey and they start off this experimentation with great ambition of how they'll be a pivot you know, there'll be a pivot and there'll be a transformational um, uh, person and team in getting this company to its new age. But immediately following that in the first month is that bill as it arrives. And, you know, the hardest thing to ever explain is sort of why, who, and, you know, you know, how did this happen? And so at a very fundamental level, what we're doing in those early days as part of that maturity is helping to educate all of these folks that are now decentralized, but reporting up to centralized, you know, reporting structures in some capacity and giving them the visibility, the intelligence, the data that allows them to look at their business and say, look, we're starting on this journey. Here's who's using what, why they were using it, for how long did they use it, and how do we plan better for the, for the future? And so a lot of that cost and visibility at a low level of you know, how many EC2 instances uh, within that AWS environment or that Azure environment or that GCP environment. Those are fundamental building blocks that they just don't have visibility into. There are some tools they can get from their native clouds, but they're just not comprehensive. They're not intuitive enough. They're not business oriented enough to provide the kind of guidance that these folks look to, to be able to start to assimilate some intelligence around the operational model. And so, as we get through that cost and visibility, you see enlightenment, right? And um, you know, folks have a better understanding. These these professionals now understand why they're spending a hundred thousand or you know some over billions of dollars over years. And um, that kind of knowledge then is circled and and um, sent back to different BUs, aggregated. And then there's a bigger discussion at the company level about how we're using our money to advance our business strategy. Rachel, what do you think? Is there anything else you'd add there in terms of that? Yeah, I mean, I think to to, to distill it down, and because I think you described that really well. Like, I'm painting a visual, uh, a picture, a word picture for you all, because you, you can't see the the actual picture, but we do have a lovely diagram. Um, there's four key phases that people tend to move through, and and by the way, like we've got we've ten thousand, almost ten thousand customers at this point. We've worked with, obviously, very closely, Ennio and I, with, with many hundreds of them. And we found this to be pretty consistent um, as, as we look across organizations, that they go through four phases of maturity in their cloud management practice. They start, one, with visibility. So 
get it all so I can see it. Two, optimization. Okay, how can I make things better, right? But more on an ad hoc basis. So looking for ways to optimize across cost, operations, security. Um, that's, you know, on a more ad, ad, ad hoc basis, like I said. Uh, phase three is governance and automation. So let me define, like, what are the best practice rules and how can I automate them as much as possible so I can get people back to doing their day job? You know, get Joe out of his spreadsheets and back to being the head of engineering. Um, and then the last phase is business integration, which is kind of pulling all of that, um, you know, together into and connecting it to business metrics and KPIs. Um, and across those four phases, we, you know, in your mind's eye picture, there's actually three parallel paths across financial management, operations, and security. So you can progress, you know, uh, independently and get extremely mature in financial management, but maybe be a little bit further behind on operations and then get further ahead again in security and compliance. Each of these four phases is like a matrix to those three, like, like Ennio mentioned. Um, and this is a new model that we're, we're working on rolling out. And so far, we're seeing a lot of customers really say, yes, this, this reflects my experience. And, and I want to use this with our different business units to try and help get us to the next level. Yeah, I, 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 I've seen this model where the phases come in, visibility, optimization, governance, automation, and business integration. One of the things that strikes me is, do you do anything on projection? Like, uh, I know that once we get going and once you do, you start to optimize. Uh, do, you, do you project where you're going to be uh, so that you can kind of manage the, the provisioning of services? I'm just wondering about projection first. Then I'll ask you a little bit about risk management. But why don't we talk uh, projection? Do you guys do anything like that? We do. I mean, we at a simplistic level, um, you know, to simplify the term, we have a forecasting methodology that we can enable for customers that based on what we're seeing in their spend, we can, you know, predict into future quarters what they'll uh, what they should be budgeting for uh, and forecasting for. So I think that's we do a nice job of that today. We have an incredibly ambitious plan for the future where we'll use future technologies uh, or in some cases, existing technologies to enhance that more so that we can, you know, provide more machine learning based methodologies where they make sense. But today, yes, we do a, a really nice job of helping people, uh, our customers, not only understand what they've spent this current month, but also what they're looking to spend. And in fact, the, the platform itself is very intuitive because you can also set up rules that allows you to, you know, understand if you're going to be hitting or exceeding that budget from the start. Because again, there's a lot of excitement from these technologists as they go down this journey. And more importantly, a lot of excitement with their people. And if they're all you know, provisioning uh, new resources from any of these clouds, it can be an incredibly um, big surprise when you receive those bills. And so the ability within the platform to build a model that you can then follow is a really big aid and enables them with a lot of knowledge and confidence to then go back and talk to peers. All right, so that's a, that, that sets me up for a small sub-question on this, which is, do you work with the vendors like AWS or Azure uh, to actually you know, learn about new service and pricing models? Because in, in my operation of cloud services, it, it seems like the, well, I have to project, but I also have to understand how their pricing models or their services change this equation as well. And there's, there's a bit of me that wants to understand how to get ahead of that. Yeah. Talk about savings plans. Yeah, I'm going to bring that <laughs> up as a perfect example. So let me start at a high level. We have, you know, we're very blessed. And I think a lot of it's through the hard work of people that were here before me um, 
Rachel being one of them, that built these relationships with these vendors. I mean, uh, Rachel, what's our latest spend under management? It's 11 billion. Yeah, 11 billion dollars that flows through our platform that accounts for the spend through these. So we're, we're considered a very material partner. And so, you know, we do, without boring the audience, sure, we have our monthly and sometimes even more frequently updates of, of roadmaps of what's going on. And that gives us some insight into what's coming. But as an overall, just to start at the overall at the high level, we have a very tight integration from the time the bills drop to our digestion and classification of that information. And we include within that any pricing variation that may be in existence, including uh, things that uh, you know vary by cloud. So when a customer or prospect comes to us and says, I'm doing this all by manual method today via spreadsheets, we basically say, you won't need to do that again because we'll handle all of that in an automated fashion daily, monthly, and of course, you know, yearly. And so that's what happens on an ongoing basis for all the major clouds. Now, uh, what Rachel was referring to is that AWS came out with an innovative extension of the RI family called savings plans. And right. it's an innovative, right. innovative way. And um, we were brought in because of that partnership very early into the process because we literally, in many ways, became an influence of how this should be deployed to the market, understanding the personas that we sell to and they sell to, and understanding how these things could be perceived and used. And so savings plans have been uh, an incredible success for AWS, and we feel a lot of pride in that. Not only are our customers benefiting from that, but we played a large role in the way that those were deployed to their worldwide market. So. We're really proud of those relationships. We work at them hard. And um, it's not easy to do given the very competitive nature of the businesses these companies, cloud vendors find themselves in. We, we talked a little bit earlier about the, the rate of change, you know, in customers' environments. And, and a big part of that is due to just, you know, how fast you can move in the public cloud. But another big part is how fast the vendors are releasing new features. I mean, even to just stay on top of just understanding every single new release that Amazon Azure and GCP release, bring out over the course, course of a year is almost literally a full-time job. Um, and that luckily, when customers bring in a partner like Cloud Health, we can understand, digest a lot of that for them, make sure it's incorporated into our platform, and then also even advise them on how they might be using it, show them trends and benchmarks, um, you know, tell them how their peers are using certain services. Right. So um, it, the, that is one of the big advantages of working with a partner. One of the great examples of that is every year at reInvent, there's this list of releases for services that AWS, for example, comes out with. In the real, I gotta tell you, this was really transformational for me and the true SaaS business coming here is that we're able to measure on a daily basis, literally, the usage of these new services. Like uh, I remember in 2018 when Fargate was released and we were seeing like uh, very large surges in those customers coming on. And you know, it's the same with Azure. So because of the real-time platform, we're actually being able to um, predict. And so as an agile business ourselves, uh, you know, when a cloud vendor releases something, of course they expect it to be a success. Uh, we're able to track and make uh, product development decisions in terms of timing uh, for markets based on real-time data. And it maps really well, and it's a very powerful tool that we use well. And um, our customers are clearly happy about it. Hey, uh, Anya, Rachel, um, 
want to jump back to the maturity model for a bit because I want to just uh, focus on this issue of optimizations because we we hit a lot on visibility, but uh, sort of like you know optimizations. What does what does that mean, right? What kinds of things? And I'm thinking along the lines of making people more efficient. Um, you know, how do we help them there, and as well as you know optimizing their prof their uh, risk profile, right? So that they're reducing their risks. And maybe you can hi highlight some of those. You know some of those examples that that uh, cloud health helps with. Yeah, it's a, it's a very broad. I think historically the market's spoken about them as very tactical, you know, right sizing or something like that. But what we see is a, as maturity has grown in the market itself. Uh, remember the story we've told you, and I think Rachel did a good job of. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of um, true motion towards transforming the business. So the amount of provisioning that goes on. In the decentralized nature of the way it's happening without at, at the beginning without all the controls needed there's just a lot of different instances and resources that are being allocated so one of the the strengths of why our platform is so vital to our customers is it's not just the beginning of that visibility that was what i spoke to you about is sort of an enlightenment of, of seeing the light of the path but ongoing as users come on and not only just new users but engineers sometimes in general just over provision and so our ability to come in and, and measure the actual utilization versus what's been um, proposed for usage we can identify waste both in dollars and resources and do that across a spectrum across clouds it's very powerful because those translate back into real dollars that can then be reutilized into different buying patterns for extensions to that business or within the business I think an area that we've seen this as a maybe a little bit more finite example is containers. Containers tends to be this like sugar candy that everybody wants to be a part of. And so there's often this this real like enlightenment that happens when the first bill comes in. And so the ability to understand what's being utilized versus what was provisioned is just powerful dollars and cents at the end of the day. But we do so and allow um, you know variables in there because it's not always dollars and cents, right? Sometimes it's about continuity and making sure that the business is, is able to um, uh, prosper. So by taking business variables and translating those into different efficiency models, we can do that across all services instances across all these clouds and provide an ongoing ROI uh, for all of our customers. And as they grow and more decentralized services and individuals become part of that equation, you can understand the multiple of, of savings just gets stronger and the efficiency goes up. So um, you, you hit the strategy. I'm going to hit the tactics then yeah. just to like balance it out. Sure. Um, so I think that was a good overview of the, the strategic side. Like if you want to get into the bit of the nitty gritty, like some of the specific areas where we can help with optimization. And by the way, Optimization to me, I, I don't you know if you, you all agree with this, it, people think about it as cost, but really optimization is anywhere you can be more efficient, yes. right? So I think you can optimize security, you Absolutely. can optimize operations. You know, so people think about cost optimization, you know, we can help with things like helping with savings plans or reservation purchases, identifying uh, unattached storage. I was actually just working with a SaaS company that had $80,000 of old snapshots in their Amazon account. And that was, they were getting charged every single month, $80,000 for snapshots that were three years old. Um, the, 
the old disaster recovery business continuity person was like, delete them, please. Uh, and so, uh, you know, finding waste in terms of cost, but then also looking for, um, on the operations side, looking for optimizations like tag compliance. I mean, tagging is such a huge pain point for our customers. It's so boring, but so important. And so helping make sure that things are tagged properly, uh, have the right tagging nomenclature, um, or have the right tag spellings. I mean, it's so the, the mistakes people can make here are so basic and can cause so many problems. And then optimization for security might be like finding potential security violations. Um, you know, finding things like, hey, this, this, you know, this shouldn't be open to the public or this isn't configured correctly or this group has too many permissions and flagging them immediately so you can take actions. Those are all like specific optimizations that we can do in Cloud Health today. All of them today and, and one of them, I think Rachel, you'd agree is just RI offerings. It's just super confusing, even for, you know, the average person. I mean, <clears throat> how do you make a decision uh, as a new user, even an experienced user of whether you should take advantage of a sa of savings plan? It's a new RI offering. Well, we've developed automation that allows uh, that allows our platform to do that for you because it's just it's really undoable as a, in a manual process at a scalable level, especially for these large enterprises. So. Rachel hit it on the head. It's across RIs, it's across security. And I really do like that. I think efficiency is the better term that we're starting to see in that maturity yep. of our market. But costs at the end of the day do speak very loudly to the finance side of the house. Of course. So for our large, larger customers, clearly, and all customers, they, they certainly go that way. And I, I want to say one other thing about this maturity curve. We do need to make this visible to all of these this audience because you've done a splendid job with that. And it really outlines it really well. And I didn't realize they didn't see it. So that probably doesn't make much sense to just be talking about cost and visibility. It's my word really pictures, cool. my word pictures. That's awesome. Right. One of the questions I have, uh, do you guys uh, ever have, do you guys have any kind of stories around customers that have, have looked and then, you know, re-architected re uh, what their solution was going to be based on what what the what the cost was uh, or what the cost might be? Uh, because a lot of the, this podcast is also talking to architects around what do they have to worry about when they're designing their cloud uh, infrastructure? And I'm just wondering if there's any kind of anecdotal stories you have around, um, you know, good architecture versus bad architecture and if there is such a thing. Well, we do a lot of work. I mean, I think as part of what Rachel just mentioned, we do a lot of work and have included a lot of best practices within the platform. So security, let's use security as an example. Out of the box, you're getting a, a very robust list of AWS best practices. And then you're also getting a number of security protocol uh, 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 rules from uh, CIS that are included. And so as we work with technical audiences like architects, you know, I don't know if I'm answering your question uh, well, but let me know. I don't think we've ever seen someone stop a project, or at least I haven't. But what I have seen is a rethinking of uh, usage, part of an efficiency uh, viewing of the project and understanding um, how they might shape things differently. And, and what's going to fuel that even more is, you know, customers today are thinking more broadly than they've ever thought. I mean, they want to go where we've already thought of going, and that is, how do I become smarter about re-architecting or creating a new modern app, just to give it an umbrella name, and understanding what cloud to put it on, and 
how that should be architected with what resource types and what protocols should be around that from a security governance automation perspective. And so that's where we're spending a lot of our time thinking in real time these days. But I, I you know, from a customer perspective, a lot of it for us is visibility, not just in cost, but across that whole spectrum of everything from governance and automation, because there's, you know, a new world of security uh, risks. There's a new world of governance risks if you're not uh, proactive about these things. Right. I'm just trying to help architects because I think you've you've mentioned this already, which is a common you know use case or you know the the maturity level kind of goes from uh, I start I grow a bunch of things and then I have to come back and I have to clean up right and I have to optimize and I was just wondering if there's uh, some way that uh, people can avoid the cleanup phase where you can you can start project and then uh, optimize the project before you even architect it right because I think everybody jumps in this really fast spins up a bunch of services and then to to your founder's point you get a bill and i've seen my bill go from you know 1x to 2x to 4x right over the course of six months and uh, i think there's this this some kind of architectural strategy that could be applied here to to help me avoid the t the common mistakes that that a lot of a lot of customers probably make so so i i agree with you in some ways and disagree in others eric because I think that your cloud architecture should never be at the service of your cost, right? You build a cloud architecture that should be the most, you know, scalable and available and resilient and, you know, deliver services as fast as possible. And if it's really expensive, then you find ways to make it less expensive with reserved instances and, you know, maybe spot and other, other approaches. And I guess what I would say most customers that I've seen, they, they take a, an existing architecture and try and keep it as it is and just make it better, faster, stronger, uh, and cheaper. Um, and I think the one thing, though, the area I do agree with you, though, is the one thing that architects can put in place in advance that where I've seen success here is governance policies. So, you know, you might not be able to say, like, you know, oftentimes the architect is, you know, they're, they're the one in the high tower, right? They might, they might they have a lot of control over the long-term vision, but then short-term what people build, they're going to build. But you can help define governance, which is essentially best practices that help you sort of stay on the rails. Um, and so actually one of our, um, one of our customers uh, at Iron Mountain likes to call governance policies bumpers on a bowling alley to make sure you can always throw strikes. Um, instead of it being like, a, oh, it's going to stop us from doing what we want to do, it's like, no, it's going to help us all get better at what we want to do. So if, if architects can work closely with their counterparts and, and work as part of a cloud center of excellence, which is something I do want to talk about a little bit more, in defining these are the best practices across cost, usage, security, performance, configuration, and we're anytime someone's at risk of violating a best practice, we're going to either alert them or potentially even remediate it or take action on their behalf. So everyone's kind of bouncing within those guardrails as best as, or bowling alley bumpers as best they can. Um, I think that's the more, the more effective approach I've seen our customers take. Okay, thanks. Well, you wanna, uh, Rachel, you mentioned talking a little bit more about the Cloud Center of Excellence. Maybe you can talk about what you're seeing there happening with customers in terms of um, you know, how they address these best practices broadly. 
Yeah, so, um, you know, we've talked a bunch about this this maturity model and kind of, you know, improving cloud operations and maturity. And the place that this is often driven out of is the cloud center of excellence. Um, now, this term has been around for, I don't know, six, seven years. I think Stephen Orban is usually the person who is, is credited with coming up with this term. He, um, at the time, was, uh, I believe, at Capital One. Then he went on to uh, Amazon to run uh, enterprise services. And... The idea of the Cloud Center of Excellence is a cross-functional group of people across finance, operations, engineering, uh, line of business, applications, and often enterprise architect. Did I say security? Security, if I didn't, I'll say it again, security. Um, and they're there to kind of help govern and optimize and oversee cloud usage across an entire organization. Um, so, for example, I, I actually, when we were talking about visibility earlier, uh, one of the customers that, that made me think of is um, this large software company called Trimble. You might not have heard of them, but it's because they make the software that powers a lot of our GPS, like in our phones and our cars and, and a lot of places, really powerful stuff. They have a lot of different lines of business, a lot of different business units that are all kind of off doing their own thing in the cloud, but they have this centralized cloud center of excellence that brings everyone together and shows them dashboards and even runs like gamification um, of, you know, who's doing the best on, on efficiency, who's doing the best on security, who's doing the best on optimization, and kind of showing all of the different groups where they stack rank against each other and help set up like this is the reference architecture that we propose you use for the best, you know, for the best security and cost and optimization, and help spread those best practices to the organization. Um, it's it's um, you know I think that this term has been around for a while. People have been talking about it a lot. It's just in the past six months that I've seen it truly take off. Like almost every customer I talk to has some version of a cloud center of excellence, whether they call it a cloud business office or what are some of the other terms you've heard. Those are the most common. I think what's what's really powerful about that though is that what we hear feedback from customers on is that they, for those that have been through uh, maybe one or two of these technology transformations, is that <clears throat> the cloud combined with products like ours performs in a way of creating the most efficient KPIs that the business can then measure themselves against. And so the cloud center of excellence becomes in essence like a, you know, a standard that all of these diver you know diverse and decentralized units, right? We've talked and our founder has often talked about a world here in cloud that's very decentralized, but in a centralized fashion, there's, you know, general rules that are established, but the governance happens at that. And so that cloud center of excellence can become very powerful as it, as it advocates for the, all the business units to follow these best practices, but then allow the governance to happen. And, you know, I don't want to oversell here is that that's not the intention, but the ease of use with by which we can allow you to manage all of those KPIs that are given to you from security perspective, from a governance perspective, from a cost perspective, all being within this. And again, I'm not going to use single pane of glass either. But let's call it a single window. How's that? <laughs> no. For today, um, you know, through that single window, right? It's it's just uh, very powerful and enabling uh, from an efficiency perspective. Yeah, I think single pane of glass is fine, you know, for for this. But I think the challenge with single pane of glass is that people want to say everything you do can be in a single pane of glass, and that's 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 where things get tricky, and that's generally not the case. Um, but I think for all the things that you're talking about, it you know, it does provide a single pane of glass. Um, want to move 
forward from here and just talk about you know the future and where you guys go next and how you evolved the platform. But Eric, I don't know if you had another question before we hit that. No, I think that I think we covered a lot of uh, what I've always thought was some of the problems that that I get when I'm operating my own cloud environment, which I do and operate a cloud environment. I I have had my costs go out of control. I do look at the architectural components and think that if I had designed this app a little bit better, or if I had if I had constrained my database, I might have saved some of the, the the work that I had to do, right? Because you do have to operate this thing, and then operational costs seem to go up every year because I'm not doing the cleanup task I need to be doing. So I think you guys have addressed a, a lot of that, and I think that the your your cloud health in. in in reality will give me that that projected view of what's actually happening so I can then have engineers start to look at what to build differently to kind of manage my costs, which is what I've had to do. I've actually had to make technical decisions to try to bring costs down, right? And maybe that's just because I'm small enough that uh, I, I have to do this, but I think everybody probably gets this to some degree. So that was, that was, that was a good conversation. Yeah, and that's how I think, um, you know, Moving back to sort of like as you guys think about the future and how this becomes more central to everything that VMware is doing in the in the cloud space, what do you guys see? Well, I can start off with a few concepts. Um, that's yeah. and then please jump in. So, you know, when you we've developed a, a mass and we're starting, you know, one of the things we do well, and I know every company talks about this, but very few practice it. We're really customer centric. I mean. The monthly uh, advisory board meetings that Rachel holds, these are real-time feedback that then combined with an agile process allows us to not necessarily change strategy every month, but it allows us to, you know, dial back and then excel some gauges of what we're going to do based on what's trending in, in, in these very important um, customers as part of the representation of the market. But a couple of concepts I'll throw out and you'll be hearing more about these into the future. One is, you know, we aspire to take this grand platform of ours and open it up to uh, more communities. So very robust offerings around APIs that enable us to tie into third party systems um, that may be, you know, very useful. So you can think about that in different segments. You can think about that from everything from HR systems to uh, authentication systems to financial uh, system. So the ability for us, as we aggregate all this data to be able to share that either in a, in a pre way, what I mean by pre is imagine the ability for us to tie into an authentication or HR system that says, you know, Rachel's not even allowed to spin up this instance type uh, based on different governance rules that we have. So in short, a very open, robust API platform that enables our technology our product our offering to interface very easily with the rest of the world and provide a real center where a lot of the aggregation and interpretation of all this data can live um, i think you know number two is we have you know and this really comes from our founder and we're trying to to define this better but this this world is as we've said moving at light speed and so when we talk about any to any we expect that to be a reality. Now we do some of that today where, you know, if you're in a data center environment, we provide you with uh, real costs and then make that comparative of what that would cost in a cloud environment, whether it be AWS, Azure, or GCP to name the, the, the three primaries. 
but we see the future where you know you define business initiatives and goals maybe goals is even a better word and you know through an automated fashion using not only the uh, platform of today evolve but also maybe technologies like machine learning um, and then say look for these types of workloads and you know depending on whether it's cost or business continuity whatever the business drivers are here's where you should automatically load this and have the best experience over time uh, based on uh, meeting that need. So this concept of any to any is sort of a, an oasis that we're, that we're looking to get to where we can interface less at a, you know, talking bits and bytes and talking more about business to say, okay, Eric, launch on Google for this, launch this on AWS and launch this on Azure, and you're gonna have the most efficient, uh, you know, uh, continuity that you can imagine. Those are a few. Yeah, I think time going a little bit further on that business intent piece, which I think is kind of the most exciting component of the vision that, that Joe Kinsella has outlined, is, you know, you might be able to tell Cloud Health that, okay, this is a, you know, mission critical production level workload. And so go treat it like a mission critical production level workload. And because of what you've defined in the back end, Cloud Health knows, okay, it needs this level of availability, this level of security, this level of resiliency, and it, it's allowed to cost this much. And it just goes off and, and not just deploys, but manages it to the business intent. That's right. Um, that's what I think is that plus, you know, you talked about the open platform, which I'm really, really excited about that. Um, I think those are the, the big. There's a third one I might mention just, you know, if we have the time, and that is that, you know, we spoke to you earlier, the two of us, about what we're seeing in the market. And I think it is different than what we saw in previous evolutions. We are seeing a decentralization. So some of the thoughts we're having is how we um, think about that and then put it into action about how we could represent, you know, hierarchical statuses in organizations. Because these very large companies that we service, you know, I mentioned earlier, and I should have been, you know, we have companies that are committing you know, to, they'll likely spend over $3 billion of cloud spend. I mean, that's, that's a lot of nickels. So our ability to provide not only a top level, you know, view of that, but to really dig in and allow the platform to act almost like um, an HR system would in terms of representation of what that hierarchy looks like and the various dependencies and who's spending what based on what project. And just getting to really granular levels is something that we're truly excited about too. And we think it represents that enterprise market that we're seeing evolve on a global basis and really what the market needs. So that's another one that uh, we're quite excited about and uh, we're beginning that experimentation with. So we'll see our platform evolve into some very robust uh, offerings. One of the one of the things that uh, strikes me that's that's happening is you know when it first started it was just truly AWS right and everything was mostly AWS. Uh, then then you know Azure got in the game and Azure has really you know been stepped up and they're you know they're they're splitting the market now. Uh, you have Google that's kind of following up behind and and then Oracle and, and you say IBM and other ones. Uh, but truly uh, starting this 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 vision of 
the multi-cloud you know dashboard where I can actually see what's happening with Google versus AWS versus Azure, um, and actually then start to make choices uh, as as the services start to commoditize, right? And maybe we haven't seen commoditized services yet, but I, I can see that starting to happen. And then having visibility into who's charging for what, and do I do I make choices, or at least do I use this data to negotiate new contracts uh, with with the providers? Uh, any space in there, and then uh, to follow up with that also, then you have you know I, VMware uh, with our cloud and your data center cloud, and obviously you know we're in that management business as well a little bit. Uh, any thoughts on on the uh, where this is going when you see more cloud legitimate cloud providers come into to being now, and it's no longer just an AWS game? Yeah, it's it's a reality for our customers. I mean, I don't know. You know, I use numbers that are not scientifically built on this one, but, uh, you know, I You're would- scary, man, No, I know, I don't want to scare you, but I, I just, the majority of customers I speak with are multi-cloud. More than half. Yeah, more, more than, than half. More than half of our customers use multiple yeah, clouds. I, they're just there, and you know, it's for all reasons. Like we hear on the phones or in person that some of it's board-based, where the board says it's part of a, you know, continuity plan that you need to have a secondary cloud in case of outage. But really the majority of the reasons are people are getting a lot smarter and, and, and I like to think that our, our technology helps in that in understanding what each of the vendors is really good at. And so an example of that is in, you know, we see high computational uh, focused verticals like a pharmaceutical level company, you know, they really do like uh, GCP because they feel that GCP provides uh, that's sort of their wheelhouse. Um, Azure has done a really nice job in terms of enterprise accounts because of the uh, connection and continuity from an enterprise application model. And they've also been really smart about the way they've tied, you know, um, other programs that they were end up lifing into transitions to cloud. And AWS continues to innovate as well. It's always, you know, AWS is sort of the one that's picked on from time to time because of the growth of these others. But AWS has innovated at a, continues to innovate at a very rapid rate. So. You know, we're really agnostic. We like them all, and um, and we do see these smaller but important clouds that, you know, if you look at the Oracle strategy, I think it's really important. They've made a decision, and I think it's the right one, that versus taking on a big three head-to-head, -head, they can focus on partnerships with those big threes and then focus on their, you know, large customer base and moving those database and application services to their cloud. So. Everybody's doing their own flavor. We see companies in Europe like Orange that no one's heard of, but it's starting to take um, hold in, in you know, um, in in, the, in that region of Europe. So I think we're going to see a large transformation. And then one other point I'll make is, I still consider data center. And this is more me, another viable cloud. Like this is to me, you know, we have very large companies that are using two clouds, three clouds, but still also have bare metal. Uh, data centers because that's what fits their strategy and so for us we're very agnostic to that our goal is how do we provide consistency level information data that enables folks to make the best decisions to manage their business yeah i think yeah, that, i was just going to say i think that last point about the data center not going away is pretty clear i think there's research all we, we just concluded a research study ourselves and uh, pretty clear that uh, the majority the vast majority of people have continued to hold on to their data center and view it as part of their multi-cloud world 
Yeah, and I, I was just going to add in, too, in terms of um, Eric's question about, you know, how Cloud Health fits in, in the VMR portfolio with other, um, you know, uh, management solutions. The thing that we've seen from our customers over and over again is they actually have different teams managing their public and their hybrid clouds for the most part. Like we ask this and every time we have a cab meeting, we ask them if they have different teams, different tools. And for the most part, at least for the foreseeable future, they do. It's just because like we talked at the beginning of the show that there's just such a big difference in the way that you manage and treat a public cloud versus a private cloud. It's you, you really need to keep the management of them separate. Now, you might want high-level dashboards that show you everything, and we, we do supply that. You know, Cloud Health can uh, connect directly into vSphere and can pull out, um, you know, both cost and usage and performance information about both EMC and AWS and uh, VM are running in the data center. Uh, but then if you want to get into really, truly, like, optimizing, governing, managing day-to-day -day management, you need to go, you know, be realized for the private cloud and Cloud Health for the public cloud. And we'll continue to talk where it makes sense, but um, our customers have told us they, they're really looking for two different sets of tools. Yep. That makes sense. And it, it, pull, it, it flows back into the cloud center of excellence, right? And that the, 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 the cloud teams have a center of excellence that are managing their cloud resources and the, the data centers have, have theirs. Right? So I, yeah. I can get that. All right. Uh, well, we always uh, finish up our podcast with where can people go learn more about uh, about you know cloud health. So maybe we can just talk a little bit about uh, you know where do, where do, where do people learn? Do you guys have training classes? Do you get around to places and do events, or do you just send them to the website? What's the strategy on learning more about cloud health? All of the above. Um, so a good place to start is uh, cloudhealthtech.com. Um, that's where you can go and learn all about the Cloud Health uh, product and services and solutions. Um, I would say uh, you can also look for us at um, literally almost any public cloud show. So any AWS summit, Azure summit, Google summit in your region. Um, we have a group traveling all over the world always at those events. Uh, also, of course, VMworld is a, is a great show for us. Um, and we also also have uh, Cloud Health has our own user conference slash you know, it's a conference really that we're opening up more to just anyone who's interested in uh, public cloud management called Cloud Live. Um, and this year we're treating this as like a, a regional summit roadshow and we're about to announce the save the date for our first stop in New York City this May. We'll be in London later in the summer and then San Francisco a little bit after that. So uh, stay tuned for those Cloud Live summits coming soon. It's a great opportunity to come and meet other public cloud users, network, learn about what they're doing. The heads of the cloud centers of excellence for some of the largest consumers of the public cloud in the world are at these events giving talks about their best practices. So it's a great place to learn more. That's fantastic. So cloudhealthtech.com. Uh, watch out for and look for Cloud Health at all the, the common cloud conferences because you guys are always out there. And then Cloud Live Summits, right? Uh, sounds sure. good. Sounds good. Are you guys on uh, Twitter? And can, they, can you, listeners give you a follow? Absolutely. Yep. Uh, I'm at, at Rachel Dines. Feel free to follow. And I'm at NEO Carboni. Please uh, appreciate the inter uh, exchange of information. And we make it easy. Just first name, last name. First name, last name. All right. That's it. At Rachel Dines and at NEO Carboni. So perfect. So Rachel Dines, uh, Director of Product Marketing and NEO Carboni, uh, Director of Product Marketing. No, Management and Marketing. NEO's 
management. There you go. Both of you, great to have you on the show. Uh, I learned a little bit, and uh, I think uh, Cloud Health is in a great position to offer customers value. So, everybody that is listening, check it out. All right. Hey, thank you guys thank for you. coming. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank yep. you.